0: So welcome to this edition of our Tech Innovation Asia podcast, in which CMS experts based in the Asia-Pacific region provide updates on key legal developments shaping the nature of doing business in this fast-paced, dynamic and ever-changing region. I'm your host, Nick Beckett, and today we're delving into the fertile area of data privacy. I'm delighted to be joined by Jonathan Chu in Hong Kong and Sheena Jacob in Singapore. So welcome to you both. So uh, maybe where to start with this, I suppose GDPR, those four letters, bring sort of fear into the hearts of any sort of data protection officers within, uh, you know, within most multinational corporations now. And I think, you know, thinking back a few years in which GDPR was being rolled out, um, it was definitely a headache, I think, for a lot of clients. Um, But the one thing, at least from a European perspective, I suppose, is that you've got some commonalities, you know harmonization and and unification of the rules in that region. Uh, but my sense, uh, now having been in Asia for a number of years is that the rules and the laws in Asia are very much not unified. So I guess the question I, I'd start with would be, you know do, does Asia
1: need uh, a GDPR equivalent? What do you think, Jonathan? Thanks, Nick. Yes. GDPR striking fear into everyone's hearts. It's, um, I mean, I, I think, I think, I think it's actually a a a good thing that there is some momentum. I think, first of all, in terms of of, of building up, improving the, the laws and regulations. Of course, ultimately, we're dealing with um, a global environment, a global situation when it comes to personal data, the data. Um, but at the end of the day. The regulations are going to be jurisdictional and each country is um going to be implementing or may or may not be implementing um you know their own laws uh and i think they would be doing it on their at their own pace and and i think that goes to to my my answer to your question is i, I don't i don't think there's a need to um or it, for, no, there's a need for asian countries to be bringing in a, an equivalent to GDPR, each country, each jurisdiction is going to um, be able, and they should rightfully be able to to to, to legislate or uh, implement, you know, the necessary regulations in accordance to their own pace. Whether or not they catch up with the rest of the world is their own problem as well. But we, well, you know, uh, uh, but but ultimately, I think each place is going to have to do things the way they want to do it. I mean, in in Hong Kong, we're ve- we're in a very different situation. Then we are than, than, than we are in mainland China, although you know we are one country, the things that are important um, in terms of what Hong Kong needs to protect, or what Hong Kong needs to legislate um, to to address is going to be it's, it's going to be very similar, but it's not necessarily going to be identical to what's what's needed to be done in China, or what's needed to be done in Macau or what's needed to be done in Singapore or, 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 or elsewhere, but ultimately I think harmonization is also an important thing. Um, and whether or not it's going to be, I think we're going to be seeing similarities. So um, I know that's kind of a wishy-washy answer where I say no, but ultimately it's going to have to be, you know, kind of similar or there's going to be certain equivalents. Uh, but 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 that's the reality, and like Hong Kong companies are going to have to get their policies in line with those, with those with those regulations, because ultimately they're going to be dealing with um, extraterritorial um, effects or the extraterritorial reach of that legislation. In that, these Hong Kong companies are going to be either doing business in China or they're going to be serving Chinese citizens where or gathering their data. Um, and they're going to have to be doing it in line with um, the applicable law. Uh, what we did with GDPR quite a while ago was um, to, to to bring everything you know. A lot of the clients had to bring it in mind, bring bring their um, privacy policies in mind, GDPR. I don't know. I don't. I don't know how, how it is. Um, what, what your views on that are? I mean, it's probably i probably covered enough in my answer to say, <laughs> to to cover with a no and a yes. But um, I'd like to hear what you know, she and yourself have to say about that.
2: Well, I think um, I think having harmonization is very important, Jonathan. That's a great point. But I think that w- there is you know a certain amount of similarity um, between the laws, at least in terms of the basic principles. And that is primarily because um, most countries in Asia are members of APEC, um, and APEC has a a privacy framework. Um, that was issued many years ago, I think uh, 15, some 15 years ago. And I think I was, I remember talking to an in-house counsel and he, he pointed out to me that, you know, at least no matter what, that every country's, um, member country's laws would have to have those basics that are in the framework. Um, and, you know, I realized that that's true. And so we do see that at the end of the day, although there are a lot of differences, and as lawyers, we spend a lot of time focusing on those differences, um, in many ways, we, you know, there are a lot of similarities to the different privacy and data protection laws. And so I think both the APEC privacy framework as well as the OECD um, guidelines on privacy, I think these international... Um, agreements have really helped at least to make sure that um, the laws are not completely uh, misaligned. So I think for me, um, I think, yes, it would be great if we had one law um, in Asia, but I think at least we have, you know, some form of framework that we can, you know, that that has some similarities. So um, I guess it's a glass half, type of uh, situation, but it's it's better than being empty.
0: yeah i want, I wonder in terms of I agree with both of both of your comments, I'm just sort of thinking in terms of the reality or the practicality of actually having one law in Asia. I think it it probably isn't going to happen at least anytime soon would be my sus- suspicion. But the one area that I, I, I'm interested in following, I'm sure Jonathan as well is um, would be the. Uh, any harmonisation of the laws with mainland China and and Hong Kong and Macau, and particularly, I would think through the Greater Bay Area. I wonder if that might be a uh, you know uh, an area where China chooses to try to harm, bring some level of harmonisation to allow the flow of data more easily across those borders, at the least. So, one to watch uh, maybe on China. Um, I mean, I, I think it's obviously a very hot area. We very recently, obviously the three of us were were giving a webinar on this, um, you know, very well attended. So I think there's a lot of interest in it. Um, And maybe just for the audience here, you know, I suppose there are some new laws that are coming out in China and one sort of question might be, well, you know, should should you as a company operating in China or indeed, even if not operating in China, should you be bothered about them? Uh, And, you know, my answer would be, well, Yes, for sure, um, probably for three or four different reasons. I think on the one hand, I mean, they're pretty substantial changes that are being made. So this is the first, you know, unified data privacy law in in mainland China. So it's the first of its kind there and is being sort of equated to GDPR. So it's, you know, it's a s- significant change that's occurring. And I think the first concern really is just the time frame. I mean, with GDPR companies had, you know, best part of two years to, to get their, their act together, their house in order. And, and you know, with the, the uh, personal information protection law, effectively, companies have got two months. You know, it's coming in on the 1st of November. So it's, you know, it's, it's, it's pretty fast approaching. So I think the lack of time is going to be a challenge for a lot of companies. And then I think, as Jonathan pointed out, this the sort of extraterritorial effect, the far-reaching nature of it, it means that, you know, wherever you're based, if you're providing you know goods or services to to um, to to you know data subjects to people in china then and and or you're uh, you know analyzing or assessing their activities from outside of china you're still going to be within the the purview of the law so you know it's very far reaching so i think you know loads of companies operating wherever they are around the world may not at this point sort of think oh yeah actually that catches me as well so I think that's another reason why i would be concerned about it and i think the changes within the law are pretty substantial i think we'll talk a little bit about data localization um, which is probably the biggest headache the biggest sort of challenge for for companies i think but there's there's lots and lots of changes i mean i, I think data protection impact assessments are going to just become a major thing um you know in so many areas of activity if you're processing sensitive personal data you're going to need to do one if you're entrusting a third party to process your data, you're going to need to do one. If you're trying to get your data out of China, you're going to need to do one. There's lots and lots of situations where many, many companies are going to need to do them. So I think there's quite a lot of new stuff for companies to, um, you know, to get to get used to. And then I suppose, the, you know, the, the, the final kind of reason why it's important, why people should sort of take notice is the potential penalties that you're going to be facing. If you don't, um, You know, the headline uh, is the 5%, 5% of previous year's turnover. Query, if that's global or Chinese, but probably Chinese, we think. Um, And, you know, that's potentially a lot of money. Uh, But even more than that, you could potentially lose your your business license. Have it suspended, have it revoked. You know, uh, individual responsible managers within the the organization could themselves be subject to fines. We get the prospect of public interest litigation, so you could find consumer organisations or others sort of, you know, coming after you, so, you know, there's a lot of risk, there's a lot of potential liability, including even criminal liability, so, yeah, I mean, from, from my side, it's it's quite quite a significant, um, you know, uh, new series of laws, there's the data security law as well, I'm going to touch on that today, but, um, but a, a lot to process. And I think, I'm assuming, in, in obviously in Hong Kong, but in Singapore as well, Sheena, there's a lot of interest, I would think, in, in the Chinese law as well, for, from the Singaporean and the uh, ASEAN perspective. Is that right?
2: Certainly. I mean, China is, you know, one of the largest economies in the world. It is, you know, one of the largest trading partners for most other countries in Southeast Asia. And so the laws, you know, is really quite important. Um, and I would say most businesses are very interested in certainly important pieces of that law. Particularly, you know, can you know can data be transferred? Is there a data localization requirement? That seems to be, I guess, a key focus of uh, many. Countries, but I, I would say it is probably the biggest development since you know since the GDPR. So um, it's really what's going to keep our clients and you know ourselves busy, um, I would think, for the next few years, um, just just dealing with this. So um, it is going to have that sort of ripple effect across across the world, I think. Um, and you know we'll perhaps we'll be having this conversation about uh, you know quite differently about how significant the impact of that law is going to be in in a few years' time. Um,
1: mm-hmm.
2: so certainly yeah. I think you know a real a, a major a major um, change and development.
1: Yeah, maybe I just wanted to add maybe um, I mean i I think I think any company that's Doing business in China or have Chinese customers. They most definitely should make sure that they are they, they are in. It's, it's, it's like how we dealt with GDPR as well. I mean, the reality is <clears throat> if you if if you don't get things in order, you're going to risk not being able to do business in that market, or you're gonna end up being fined. for um, or both. And uh, it's it's you know, we always say it's it's not really a question of. You know when if, if you're going to have a data breach it's more <laughs> when when you're going to have a data breach and um you know not, there's there's no time at the present to, to 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 get things get things in order, order especially when there is a very narrow window of time um uh, to get things in orders
0: great well i'd, I'd like to move on to uh, uh, what i was saying is probably one of the hottest areas or the most challenging areas for for our clients which are you know often multinational companies operating across multiple jurisdictions in the Asia Pacific region and obviously beyond. And you know, dealing with data localization requirements, dealing with the, you know, the, the security assessments or whatever to allow for cross-border transfers of their data. And it's, you know, a challenge. I mean how how Sheena, how do you think clients are trying to 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 deal with that that issue?
2: So I think this is, you know, it is a global issue um, in the EU with um, issues around Privacy Shield and uh, new standard contractual clauses. So, you know, we've already seen that sort of tsunami happen in and, and that side of the world. Um, but I think we, you know, this is really a global challenge. Um, at the end of the day, companies are operate across the globe Um, systems are used globally Um, we work digitally um, digital economies and just like trade is happening uh, across the globe data needs to flow across the globe without um, without issues and at the same time, you have governments who want to regulate that or want to exercise rights over that data that, um, you know, that that resides in that country. And so, you know, we do see, I guess, a some degree of control over data that originates in a country. Um, we have that with the EU, for example, in the sense that you can't. Transfer data without having these arrangements in place. So that's been around for, for years. Um, but you know, every country is entitled to create those similar rules, and it's just a question of how how stringent those rules are, whether you know what are the mechanisms you need to comply with in order to transfer the data. Um, and so, from a legal perspective. You know, we you know obviously need to understand clients need to understand what they need to do in order to transfer data across data across um, the world and across Asia. Um, at the same time, um, you know the rules are not consistent as we talked about earlier. So you need to make sure that you're complying. You know, with Chinese law, you also have to comply with. Transfer restrictions from Singapore. Um, you also have to look at what you need to do in Korea, and so it, it can be really challenging to sort of operate systems globally, right? So you may have CRM, HR systems which are just operated globally, and then it becomes a challenge um, as well. You know where where does the data sit um, in order to understand where it's going, and so. Um, so we all know what the problems are. So what are the solutions? I mean, in Europe, at least there's, you know, you do have some system. You've got the the, the um, standard contractual clauses. Um, you have arrangements around binding corporate rules. So at least within a company, um, data can be transferred between various entities. Um, and in Asia, I think we do have, I mean, we don't, have the equivalent of standard contractual clauses, but we do have um, the APEC cross-border privacy rule system. And so that is basically a system which allows individual companies to have their policies and processes certified by a third party who will verify um, that they are actually meeting the APEC privacy rules. And if they actually get certified, then, you know, the, the countries that are members of this system right now, that's the U.S., Canada, Mexico, and within Asia, we have actually quite a few countries, Korea, Japan, um, Singapore, Taiwan are all members, and Australia is a member as well. And so hopefully we might see more countries joining that. And if they do, then companies at least will be able to um, go through this certification process and then be able to transfer um, data between uh, at least within the company across these these countries. So I think that's a start. It still means that there are a lot of challenges because these are only eight countries um, and so we don't yet have a global system. I think hopefully one day we might um, have some sort of global arrangement which would allow you to transfer data. Um, and in fact, the the EU is actually working with APEC to see how, you know, at least between the EU and APEC, they can they can try to find a way to um, recognize the system. So, at the moment, it's still challenging, but um, you know, hopefully, on the horizon, there will be some solution. But in the meantime, I think it's just important to, you know, make sure companies get, you know, what they need, whether it's consents or whether it's, you know, having data transfer agreements in place um, and whatever needs to be done in order to just maintain that free flow of of data.
0: Well, I think in, in China. I mean, I think with this new law that came in pre- previous to that, you know, the big question was, you know, w- are you a, a operator of critical information infrastructure? And the you know the feeling was, well, if if you are, then you, you're subject to these data localization requirements, and you'd need to go through security assessments in order to to transfer your data out. So that was the sort of threshold. Whereas with the new law, uh, basically everyone. Uh, if they're trying to transfer data out of China now has to come up with a plan and, you know, it could be a security assessment, but it could also now, there's there's other channels, there's a certification channel, but we just don't know how that's going to work. And there's a something a bit like maybe the European, uh, you know, model clause, clauses, um, the ability for companies to incorporate some standard clauses uh, within their relevant contracts. But again, we don't know what those clauses are yet, but it is it's a concern you know now on a much broader basis, because I think everyone's kind of subject to it. so it is a challenge. I wonder, you, I mean, how do these you know these challenges, how do they impact the use of cloud services?
2: So I think you know we've seen companies who are concerned about that, um, for example in in China and may consider Localizing, you know, uh, certain data within that country, but um, I think if you look at the large cloud providers, um, Amazon, Microsoft, etc., so they would, you know, they do actually provide um, sort of country-specific cloud services, and and that's part of why we're seeing so many data centers uh, being built. For example, even in Indonesia where there are some localization requirements, you're seeing um, a lot more data centers coming up and so that you, know, you can have an offering that allows you to keep data in, in a particular country if you have to. So um, in terms of cloud services, I think the model, there are various models, so there are hybrid models now, um, and it is, I think, a recognition of the fact that you know, these are these are laws, and there are restrictions that you know you just have to comply with. But at least, at least because of that, you know, it hasn't put a stop to the ability to use the cloud. So I think that that it's great that we are, we're sort of seeing this whole new uh, development in the area of cloud providers and data centers.
0: Okay, maybe I mean let's let's look at ah the situation then of you know a company has uh, a breach situation in Asia. Um, how do they how do they go about managing that, Jonathan?
1: Well, maybe I should take this opportunity to plug the, uh, the CMS data breach app. <laughs> <laughs> because, I mean, I think you know you just kind of kind of imagine. I mean, what what happens? You, you know, you're you're a form of a breach. Um, first, you have to really find out where it's happening because you know, like we touched upon earlier, it, it where it happens um, would determine. What rules and what what, what laws are applicable. Um, Somewhere like Hong Kong, there's no mandatory requirement to report that breach, right? So you have to assess the risks. You still have to assess, you start to find out what's, you know, what happened. I suppose the very first thing is to make sure that that breach is now secure and it's not going to happen again. Um, So it's less of a legal thing, but more of a technical thing, although there's going to be legal consequences. if you find out something happened, didn't do anything, um, you're going to not only have um, regulatory issues, regulatory issues that may arise, but there's going to be, you know, there's one thing that's that's not often talked about when we're talking about um, you know, data uh, data breaches um, and data, you know, d- data protection obligations, it's civil liability. There's, you know, just 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 because you know everybody's really focused on re- you know, the regulatory situation, what the fines are going to be. How the PR is going to look. what about personal claims that that may be brought against you? Um, or just because we're not talking about it so much. know I'm not saying that you know action is not being taken um, and people are not concerned about it, but I feel that it's not something that's at the forefront of everybody's mind enough because nowadays the type of data we're talking about I mean we're we're you know, early on, it's just identi- identification, right? Um, just the person's name, just the person's. You know, then it becomes bank account information. Then it becomes addresses. Then it becomes. We're getting into stuff where, um, you know, by, uh, you know, sensitive information relating to 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 more sensitive information relating to person, but there is some um, ultra private stuff. Uh, or or, or you, go, you, you even you know biological information stuff like that um, you know can do serious harm to somebody uh, and the consequence of that is a civil claim um, a losses and damage in that so that's one thing I always encourage clients to consider is is that it is a potential civil liability but back to your original question you know what should one do you know, one stop make sure things are secure make sure it's not 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 going, you know, the breach is secure, um, it's not going to happen again. To find out where it's happening, right, um, and assess assess the um, the extent of, 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 of that damage and make sure that you have to do the reporting within the necessary time. Again, each place is different in terms of the timing of the reporting. Uh, and I mean, but for us, even in Hong Kong, uh, we encourage we encourage our clients to to to, to definitely um, you know, get that assessment done very very quickly because even though it's, say it's happened in Hong Kong, there might be requirements to report it in in the EU or in Singapore or or, or or mainland China.
0: I think one of the one of the challenges in China is sometimes it, at this stage at least it's not always clear you know who to report to not not always clear. What the format in which you should report is not always clear. Exactly what time frame you should be reporting in. So there's a lot of questions I think out there. I mean, I think you know probably best practice is is seeking to even achieve 24 hour uh, time frame reporting, which is obviously very very short. Um, but I think a lot of within the different sectors, a lot of the you know the the, the timings and the the formats they're still still being worked out. I don't know, Sheena in uh, in ASEAN and Singapore, is there any, um, you know, is it all quite uh, clear as to the, the breach re- reporting process to the authorities?
2: I mean, I think so there is, for example, in Singapore, it's quite clear in that the PDPC actually, the regulator actually has a, an online form. So it's quite clear what's the information that you have to put in. Um, and so you know what you need to submit. I think the, the real challenge is um, at the time when you when all this is happening, it's sort of a, you know, it's an un- unfolding story and and the facts change, you know, all the time. And so the challenge is when you're reporting is to make sure that you're reporting something that um, takes that into account. I mean, you can only, you know, provide the information that you're aware of at the time and it it. It does change so quickly, um, you know, I think it is, it is just difficult for companies to, to, to deal with that. And so, realistically, you know, a preliminary report is what most people manage to do. Most companies, in order to meet the timeframe, because it's usually within that sort of 72-hour time period, it's really quite hard to know. Um, the extent of the breach, or or even sort of when it you know when it started. So um, I think that is that is one of the challenges um, that um, that companies have. Um, and of course, we are seeing the growth of cyber insurance, um, and so that means you have to notify the insurer as soon as it happens as well. Because otherwise the policy will not be valid, and so then you get the the insurance company uh, stepping in. Um, it is definitely becoming much more complex and complicated um, in terms of managing uh, data breaches.
0: I think maybe lastly, I mean we've been we've been focusing predominantly uh, on personal data here so far. It might just be worth just touching on. Um, you know other important data, um, and you know the the whole area of cybersecurity and, and national security. And I think certainly in Asia, I feel we're we're seeing a, a real sort of growing tide on on that. Um, you know, in China, we have the cyber, PRC cybersecurity law back from two thousand and seventeen, and you know that that's brought with it, you know. A whole new raft of considerations, as I say, identifying first of all who who who's subject to it and these critical information infrastructure operators. And I think there's probably an interesting comparison there with with, as I understand it, uh, Sheena in Singapore, that you know in China, as I said, we're still we're still waiting to up to be you know at the list identified by the various sectoral authorities as to who is and who is not. Uh, a critical information infrastructure operator but i think under the singapore cybersecurity act the, uh, the the position's more clear now is it
2: yeah i mean i think the law is you know identifies the sectors um, but you know there was nothing written in the law that that identified who they were uh, but the various i guess regulators in each space did Um, inform or notify companies if they, you know, fell within those sectors. And so at the time, I did have a client who said, you know, we're not sure if we are are or are not. And um, I spoke to the regulator and they were like, if you haven't heard by now, then you're not um, a CII. So I think that's, you know, it's definitely helpful to be able to identify whether you are or you're not. Um, But I think this, Regulation of, of other forms of data, it's you know, it is really a national security issue. I think governments are are becoming much more um, attuned to the fact that data is you know, information is power, as we all uh, as as we all say. And so, you know, you don't necessarily want certain types of information to be um, made available easily or or sent overseas. And so, this is. Something you you know you beginning to see um, across the globe and you know to some extent given the ransomware attacks and attacks on infras- you know which can affect infrastructure as well I mean you you know it it is it is understandable to some extent um, why you know the regulation of these types of data becomes you know very important. I like the fact that the China law, called, you know, I don't think anybody else calls it important data, but I like that because I think that, you know, that really hits the nail on the head. This is important data and that's why we have to treat it differently. So um, I do see um, that happening, I think, uh, more in, especially uh, in a in different country. So... Um, but again, that, that just adds to the challenge uh, for companies.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, certainly, as you say, this the new data security law and this, you know, I think somewhat unique concept of important data in China. I and mean, that's it's a significant development. And again, I think companies need to understand it's it's difficult. Yet again, without the very detailed clarification of what important data is, there are some, some guides out there, draft guidance out there that you can get some ideas in respect of different sectors different fields of activity um, but it's impo- you know it is important for for companies to to identify are they you know processing important data or indeed anyone in their you know distribution network in their supply chains etc they're collaborating interfacing with are they dealing with important data and then you're under, you know, a whole new load of restrictions on again cross-border transfer or risks, risk assessment. And I think you're right, Sheena. I mean, I think to some extent it's political, isn't it, and um, economic as well. And and you know, different countries, China included, um, seeking to you know protect that that power and that knowledge and the, the the source of that data. Right. I think that's probably all we have time for uh, on today's uh, episode. So thank you very much for joining us for this edition of Tech Innovation Asia. We hope you found our insights to be interesting and thought-provoking. If you'd like to discuss any of the points covered, please do get in touch. To find out more about CMS, visit cms.law. Audio versions of Tech Innovation Asia are available through your usual podcast stores.